2: Arches and
1: Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn
3: more at Xfinity.com slash XFi.
4: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we want to talk through a topic that you might have heard about in the last couple weeks, Oprah 2020. What do you think about that, Emily?
3: (laughs) I was tweeting hashtag Oprah 2020, I think about three minutes into her epic Golden Globe speech. So I've been on board ever since, despite the deluge of drama that the internet unveiled pretty much every moment since.
4: Exactly. We're going to break down some of that drama and all the conversation surrounding Oprah's inspiring speech and all the chatter saying that she might actually run for president. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably seen that Oprah gave an inspiring, inspiring speech at the Golden Globes when she won an award. This speech was pretty much applauded by everyone that heard it. Let's take a quick listen. And I'm especially proud
5: and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Each of us in this room are celebrated because of the stories that we tell. And this year we became the story. But it's not just a story affecting the entertainment industry. It's one that transcends any culture, geography, race, religion, politics, or workplace. At the Golden Globes, Oprah
4: was winning the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Some past winners include Meryl Streep, Jodie Foster, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Robin Williams, Barbara Streisand, and lots of other really notable talents in the entertainment world. R.I.P., Robin Williams. Yeah, so That's sad. sad.
3: And yeah, this award was for notable, incredible lifetime contributions to the entertainment industry, which Oprah clearly and obviously belongs in
4: that category, probably more than
3: any of the of the winners you just listed.
4: I mean, can you think of anybody in present day America who has had such an impact on the world of entertainment? I literally
3: only think a close runner up who's like on the rise, maybe like... Emulating Oprah right now is Ellen DeGeneres. I would put her in this category too. Calling it now, future winner of that award. Oh, Ellen. you Ellen DeGeneres for sure. Uh,
4: when, side note: When I was home for the holidays, I watched a bunch of her new yeah. show with my parents. Oh, the game show one? Yeah, where people are like strapped <laughs> into like devices, and if they get the questions wrong, they get. <laughs> Hurtled into, I guess, their death. I don't know. Well,
3: no, this is why you have a funny look on your face then, cause you're thinking of that as her contribution to entertainment. I think I just watched her like 100th show anniversary of the Ellen DeGeneres show and looked back on all the contributions. That's the show she'll win it for, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, I can see that. And her stand up <laughs> is hilarious. But like, go back, go back and watch her stand up. It's pretty great.
3: Yeah. You seem a little skeptical though. I
4: don't I would put them on the same level. No, I mean, not, did I? Did not, I? You're saying eventually. I'm saying she's like a young Oprah. Okay. She's like
3: on the rise. Hopefully, fulfilling the same shoes that Oprah's currently wearing. I can see that. Uh, Anyway, no one compares to Oprah. You're right. Incomparable (laughs) in every way.
4: We'll check back in 10 years and see where Ellen's at on her (laughs) her journey to be Oprah. So Oprah's speech was pretty much universally praised, so much so that hashtag Oprah 2020 began to trend almost instantaneously.
3: And I definitely (laughs) contributed to that. I mean, you know what I think was so profound about that moment? A, so many people were watching because of the... Build up to the Golden Globes, which we covered in our Me Too episode, or in one of the many <laughs> Me Too episodes that we've had, because it was such a demonstration of political force and it was such a, an opportunity for Hollywood to... uh Communicate the reckoning that's happening in their industry right now. I think there are a lot of people watching with optimism, with excitement, and with a feminist fervor. So the audience was already queued up, and, you know, like Oprah was set up to hit a home run. And then her speech was so refreshing because we haven't heard from great orators in a while. We haven't heard that kind of patriotic American dream type rhetoric in a while, in a way that sounded so inclusive, so optimistic and so indicative of everything that I think is good about this country.
4: Yeah, you kind of forget how important it is to feel like you are living in a time where when something is bad or depressing or something big and scary happens, that you have a leader who can speak to that eloquently. I was never a big fan of Barack Obama's sort of quote unquote healer in chief thing. I didn't really like that. But I kind of forgot how comforting that was. And I remember, I think it was the day of the shooting in Vegas when everything felt so scary yeah. and so so hard to wrap your head around. I went on YouTube and found that video of Barack Obama at the funeral for those who were killed in the Charleston shooting where he sang Amazing Grace and it was this amazing moment. And I kind of forgot how important it is to feel like you have a leader who can speak to your pain and to your emotions in times of crisis. And I think we are in a time that feels very scary and very uncertain politically, socially. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, watching someone that you recognize as a leader get up on a stage and speak to that that feeling in your soul is so important in a way that I don't think I even quite realized was missing
3: Exactly. I I forgot how important that was because it's easy to say, you know, what a president should do or what a leader should do is see campaigns through to fruition, you know, pass policies, make things happen politically. That's one big part of leadership. It's easy to forget communication is part of the chief executive's job. And so it was really refreshing to see that coming from Oprah in an absence of it elsewhere, quite frankly.
4: You're not the only person who noticed that, Emily. Uh, NBC News during that night tweeted, nothing but respect for our president, with a picture of Oprah, which they later had to apologize for. Uh, Meryl Streep, who won the Cecil B. DeMille Award the year before Oprah, told the Washington Post, she launched a rocket tonight. I wanted her to run for president. I don't think she had any intention of declaring, but now she doesn't have a choice.
3: Well, that's the crux of the issue. Does Oprah have a choice? Like, where does she stand on all of this? Because the internet chatter took off in a way that almost eclipsed Oprah herself and the great speech she'd just given. So what, where does Oprah stand on this?
4: That's a great question. Oprah has sort of fallen on both sides of the fence. She's played a bit coy at times, and other times has been very definitive. Um, in a 2017 Hollywood Reporter podcast interview, she said that running for public office was a definitive no. Here's what she had to say.
5: I will never run for public office okay that's a
0: pretty definitive
5: that's a pretty definitive thing okay i will never if run if you for... did though could you beat him and i don't know i don't know the answer to that but i will you will never have to i will never have to know the answer to that because i will never run for <laughs> public office
3: <laughs> i don't blame her bridget like her life seems pretty great why would she want to muck it all up in the dirty work of politics
4: i completely agree and i think that people forget that running for office isn't actually that glamorous. It involves a lot of going to fish fries and crab boils and (laughs) clam bakes and all kinds of real small towns in the middle of nowhere.
3: Yeah, and I mean, the schedule is grueling, for one thing, but second of all, your whole personal life is dragged through the mud. There's no... There's nothing off limits. And I just feel like someone like Oprah, who's already accomplished so much and can have such influence in the private sector and and through nonprofit advocacy as she has, it might seem like an unnecessary
4: burden that she might not be that into. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that's her thinking. But after her Golden Globe speech and all the chatter about Oprah 2020, CNN actually reported that she was, quote, actively thinking about it, citing two close friends that they didn't name. The Los Angeles Times quoted Stedman, her longtime partner, as saying, it's up to the people. She would absolutely do it.
3: Now I remember why I've got Ellen DeGeneres on the brain. Because I heard Meryl Streep sitting on a couch with Tom Hanks talking to Ellen. Ellen interviewed them right after the Golden Globes, like a day or two after. And Meryl looked like a giddy schoolgirl. Because she was like, yeah, Stedman said she'd do it. Stedman reported that she might do it. So I think her quote was... Uh, Let me know where to send the check. Oh,
4: (laughs) I just got a fantasy in my head of Oprah running for president with Meryl being her campaign manager.
3: (laughs) She could definitely be her finance manager. Uh,
4: That'd be a good movie. Shake that Hollywood money tree. You know what I mean? That'd That'd, be great. That would be really amazing. That'd be something. (laughs) It'd
3: be a star-studded campaign.
4: So you can see how Oprah has, at some times, been really definitive about never running for public office, not going to do it, no chance, and... This idea that maybe she's thinking about it. Maybe it's something that's not out of the realm of possibility for her.
3: Well, I mean, honestly, a Trump presidency changes the whole game. If I were her, you know, I would say, like, many of us clearly did, like, too many of us clearly did, that it's okay to sit on the sidelines, right? Like, I can contribute in the way I'm contributing. Maybe I don't need to throw my hat into the ring. And just like when we were talking with Aaron Velarde at Vote Run Lead— on our episode about is 2018 going to be the year of the woman, I think a lot of us are like, we've got Donald Trump in the White House. This country is only going to be led by people who throw their hat into the ring. I guess I got to roll up my sleeves and put my name on the list. You know what I mean? Like, it's time to do more. And I think that call to action is visceral for women right now. And for women in a position of privilege, I I can see where Oprah would want to pour her energy and resources and spirit into sort of saving us. But that's the problem,
5: right? That
4: is the problem. So after her amazing, amazing speech, I was almost a little hesitant at all the conversation. You know, just like everybody else listening right now, I found her speech to be super, super inspiring. And I was a little weirded out to see all of my D.C. political insider friends arguing on Facebook and Twitter about yeah, she should run for office, she should be president, rah-rah, and even those who were like, no, what are you talking about, she shouldn't run for president, I was annoyed by the entire conversation, and here's my thing, I thought Oprah made a really inspiring speech, immediately following said speech, the entire internet decided that we should be having a conversation about, A, should she be president, a job that she's not thrown her hat into the ring for, or B... Here's why she's not qualified for said job. Both of those reactions really bothered (laughs) me because I thought, gee, can't we just enjoy that she gave an amazing speech at a time when the country needed it and have that be that? Like, that whole news cycle (laughs) really, really took away from that for me. It
3: was annoying. And then there were like the meta-level commentaries on, you're bad if you had this reaction to the speech or you shouldn't be talking about this element of Oprah 2020. I mean, there was such a spiral of drama that came out of that, that quite honestly, we were getting tweets. I don't know about you, Bridget. I'm sure you were. Like, a lot of our listeners were tweeting at us saying, I can't wait to hear what we have to say about it. And I was like, is this an
4: issue we want to touch? Well, that's the thing. Part of me didn't even want to contribute to the chatter that took away from what was her great speech by saying, Here's why she's qualified for a job she frankly hasn't said she wanted. Or here's why she's not qualified for a job that she hasn't mentioned wanting. And so I almost (laughs) didn't even want to speculate about the pros and cons of an Oprah presidency. But you know what, Emily? Let's do it anyway after this quick
0: break. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online
1: and get help. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more.
0: The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards.
1: Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go.
0: Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your
1: teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip. Better oral health made simple and rewarding.
4: And we're back. And really, let's break down the conversation surrounding an Oprah 2020. I want to be clear here that more than anything, Bridget and I
3: loved the speech that Oprah gave. And that stands alone as something that inspired a nation and world in some ways and inspired our country. What we want to parse through right now are the myriad responses that followed and talk through what this actually says more about us than it has anything to say about Oprah herself.
4: Exactly. So I want to talk through the what-ifs of an Oprah presidency. Mm. What is the case for Oprah 2020? First of all, the obvious. You alluded to this earlier in the show. Like it or not, Trump's win set a precedent for who we think of as, quote, presidential.
3: Exactly. I mean, he was our first celebrity president in a lot of ways. Although some might say Ronald Reagan. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's not the first, but definitely the first reality TV star to become our commander in chief. And this idea of a wealthy sort of celebrity elite with no political background running for office would not even have been a conversation to follow the Golden Globes had we not had... Uh, A Trump presidency, GOP strategist Anna Navarro put it this way, quote, are we really asking ourselves whether a political neophyte billionaire media savvy TV star can become president? America answered that already. I don't know how much she knows about foreign policy or some domestic issues, but hell, it's not like she'd be running against Churchill. She'd be running against Trump.
4: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And to be clear, this nuance is not lost on Oprah. After Trump won, she actually seemed to be mulling it over because she thought, hey, if Trump could do this, maybe I could do it too. Here's what she had to say.
5: I, I actually never thought that that was, I never considered the question even a possibility. I just thought, oh,
4: Right, because it's clear that uh, you don't need government experience to be elected President Uh, of the United States, right?
5: I thought, oh, gee, I don't have the experience. I don't know enough. I don't know. And now I'm thinking, oh. All right. Well, okay.
4: It's so funny to go back and listen to that now because, you know, she can play koy all she wants to, but that sounds like someone who is rethinking in light of a Trump presidency. Who's
3: evolving on the issue.
4: Exactly. And I have to say, I've always thought it would be cool to have someone that doesn't necessarily come from the traditional backgrounds of law to be president. I want to see a teacher president or a nurse president uh, or a doctor president. Uh, I'm really comfortable with the idea that you don't have to have a specific professional background in order to hold public office. I am
3: shocked to hear you say that. Really? You sound like a Trump supporter who's like, drain the swamp, no more political insiders, let's get an outsider in the White House.
4: I mean, it, it does sound a little bit populist. I don't it know. Does, I, think, yeah. I think it's <laughs> like, I'm no big... Uh, Paul supporter but I sure. like that he was a doctor right yeah, I, I yeah. think that we yeah I think that you know I used to think that you could never hold public office if you didn't have a law degree oh, or I didn't see. go to law school and I just think opening nope. up yeah. the channels yeah. have, so saying you can be a teacher or a professor or a nurse or something like that mm. and still be a, a valid candidate for holding public office I see what you're saying I agree in
3: some ways I also have come to value the political skills of politicians in a way that I never thought I would have. I'm hesitant to go on the record saying this, but the the ability to play politics has a dirty connotation, but it really has to do with galvanizing support. It's about bringing divergent parties together to get things done. And that pragmatist in me is so into having a president or having leadership who know how to play their politics right.
4: Yeah. There's nothing wrong with knowing how to do politics. (laughs) I think that we so often make it sound like it's sleazy or bad, and it's not.
3: And there are probably teachers and doctors and corporate leaders and entrepreneurs who know how to play their politics right, too.
4: And look at all the other public figures who there's been some chatter about for whether or not they'd run for president. Mark Zuckerberg. Ugh. Emily, do you have feelings about Zuckerberg? (laughs) No comment. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. (laughs) Mark Cuban. We have all of these different kinds of people from different backgrounds who there have been some whispers that they, they maybe would be interested in holding public office. And it may seem strange, but I'm actually all for it. Yeah,
3: I think you're absolutely right. There's a strong populist current in the country right now. And I get it. I don't want to be a career politician either. I'm not working on Capitol Hill for 25 years to weasel my way into the White House. That seems like a terrible route to take. It also seems like you're missing out on real life with real America if you do that.
4: Exactly. And Oprah has certainly lived a real life.
3: Yes. Actually, that is a great point, Bridget, because I wanted to point out what angered me the most about the comparison between Donald Trump and Oprah Winfrey is lumping them into this same category of celebrity billionaire. They are the most different celebrity billionaires than you possibly can have.
4: Oh, absolutely. They could not be more different. Keep in mind that Oprah is completely self-made. She can right. get money from daddy to start businesses. It was just a million dollars, Bridget. Just a normal million dollar loan <laughs> like any of us starts out with. You know, you know how you just get a million dollars to start your own thing.
3: Yeah, I think he really struggled. Like he talks about that as like the hard years. Not to mention all of the different corporate bankruptcies and record of not paying contractors and just generally being terrible at running his business. The notion That somehow supporting an Oprah 2020 candidacy means that we as Democrats are, like, stooping to the celebrity politics of Donald Trump was so infuriating to me because it's a false comparison. You cannot tell me Oprah Winfrey is somehow as unqualified or unfit for the presidency as Donald Trump is.
4: Yeah, if Donald Trump is qualified on his quote-unquote business acumen— That makes Oprah like 10 times more qualified. There was a great rundown
3: in Politico that ran through all the ways in which Oprah outshines Trump's private sector career on a lot of fronts. As you mentioned, Bridget, Trump didn't exactly start off scrappy and struggling, whereas Oprah Winfrey, on the other hand, survived poverty, childhood sexual abuse, workplace sexual harassment to become the world's first black female billionaire. And she's self-made. Which I think belongs in that description as well.
4: Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that she really did start with nothing. When you look at her biography, she overcame so much to be so powerful and influential. Can't say the same thing about Trump. It's just not true.
3: Not at all. And beyond that, her foundation, the work she's done from a philanthropic standpoint, runs circles around the Trump Foundation, Not only has she focused a lot of her philanthropy on international education, specifically education for lifting up impoverished women and girls, but right here at home following Hurricane Katrina, she invested $10 of her own money and partnered with Habitat for Humanity to build a planned community in Houston's Angel Lane, housing 65 families displaced by the storm. And Oprah makes a habit of donating money to other nonprofits, too, other charitable organizations who are doing the hard work, including over 80 charities in her adopted hometown of Chicago, Illinois.
4: Furthermore, as you might remember from this past election, Donald Trump's history of philanthropic behavior is infamously difficult to point to. Didn't he— Loan money to himself through his foundation? It's such a hard-to-parse situation, and I think purposefully so. He has charitable efforts, but it's never quite clear how much money is actually going to those charities and how much is sort of going to his own pockets. Mm. Sketchy. And I know I've said this a bunch of times, and she opens her speech with it, But Oprah grew up incredibly poor, born in 1954 in Mississippi to a teenage single mother who worked as a housemaid. Reportedly, she was so poor that she went to school wearing potato socks. She later became pregnant at age 14 as a result of sexual abuse, but her son was born prematurely and died shortly after birth.
3: I mean, she does go on the record and she's very candid about the fact that she was first raped at nine years old and then again by other family members throughout the course of her childhood and early adolescence. Mm. And, And so Oprah's very clear about that impact that those traumas had on her life and why she's devoted her life's work to helping others. I've seen her speak on the record about sort of asking God to do with her what he will, basically asking God to make her a vessel for good. After experiencing such trauma, I think that's an incredible demonstration of resilience and committing yourself to, f- to making an impact in this world, which she clearly has.
4: Understatement of the century, make an impact she did. At 17, Oprah won a Miss Black Tennessee beauty pageant and was later hired by a local radio station to read the news part-time while she was still in high school. Wow. At 19, she was offered a job as the youngest and first Black female news anchor at Nashville's WLAC-TV news station. 19? That's so young to be reading the news on That's TV.
3: crazy. How did it happen? I love it. She was later hired by WJZ-TV to co-anchor the evening news, but her emotional style didn't go down so well on a straight news program. So she was transferred to an ailing daytime chat program, People Are Talking, in 1978, which clearly got her thinking about how she could take her talk show game to the next level.
4: Exactly. There's a really good episode of Stuff Bob Never Told You with Caroline and Kristen where they break down Oprah's career trajectory and how it really wasn't just a meteoric rise. She had peaks and valleys and had to really deal with early career failures and learn from those failures to be the success that she is today.
3: Again, demonstrating her resilience and ability to persevere beyond injustice and beyond trauma and beyond failures. I think she makes our Work Fails episode
4: look kind of sheepish. (laughs) She really does. (laughs) She absolutely does. After hosting the chat program People Are Talking, she had clearly found her calling. In 1984, she relocated to Chicago to take over a morning chat show. Its name was quickly changed from AM Chicago to The Oprah Winfrey Show. It was syndicated nationally, quickly becoming the number one talk show in the United States.
3: And the rest is history. And I think we know the rest. She's now got her entire network and spinoffs of all kinds. So when we talk about Oprah as a Trump-esque candidate, A, it doesn't check out, and B, the fact that she's a successful celebrity billionaire is the only thing that she has in common with Donald Trump, if you can even use the word
4: successful. Yeah, they almost really couldn't be less similar when you really think about it and put them side by side.
3: And then there was this annoying rhetoric online that came from both Democrats and Republicans and everyone in between saying that that made her somehow unqualified. And when I thought about how profound that speech was and that a good speech alone doesn't make a president, which was some of the rhetoric that was coming out in these pieces of how unqualified, you know, Winfrey would be. I was like, I'm sorry. Do you not recall another incredible speech, another inspiring speech that launched an entire presidency? No, I'm not familiar.
4: Hmm. Who who are you talking about? Who might
3: I be referencing? A little known state senator— that goes by the name of Barack Obama. 2004, Democratic National Committee. Who the hell knows how this guy even got on the stage, quite frankly, which is how he opened his speech, saying the idea of me even being here addressing this, this audience is so unlikely. It's hard to fathom because now former president Barack Obama was just a state senator then and a candidate for U.S. Senate. So talk about not so qualified. It's not like he had a robust political background and he still became the president that he was and he still had the impact that he had.
4: Exactly. So there's definitely a precedent for a really inspiring, rousing speech to chart the path to the Oval Office. And we shouldn't pretend like that's not the case. All of those arguments drove me nuts.
3: Another argument that I found unconvincing that came up on social media after her speech Was that she might be a great orator, she might be a great entrepreneur, but we don't know anything about her politics. To which I say, false, yet again. You don't need to have a public policy background to have a clear stance on a lot of issues.
4: Exactly. When you actually parse some of her public statements like speeches and things that she's talked about on her show, you can actually get a picture of where she stands politically on a handful of issues. Oprah favors increased background checks on guns. She's repeatedly spoken out against legislative inaction in the face of high profile mass shootings over the past several years. When
3: giving a speech at Harvard, she clearly expressed support for creating a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants here in the United States.
4: She's also into LGBTQ rights. Some of the early episodes of her show dealing with issues like gay marriage and homophobia are often credited by some sociologists with popularizing LGBTQ acceptance in the press.
3: Totally. And as a very strong woman of faith, she was raised as a Baptist. She really pushed back on the notion that you couldn't be tolerant of gay people and be... Uh, a God-fearing, you know, religious person at one point saying, "quote The God I serve doesn't care if you're tall or short, or whether you were born black or Asian or gay."
4: I love that. Something else that I find so fascinating about Oprah's political stances is that she's taken some really lefty, progressive stances way before doing so was cool or popular.
3: Exactly. She was an early critic of the war in Iraq, producing an entire series called Is War the Only Answer? And it ran from early November of 2002 until March of 2003, even though that was a really unpopular thing to say at the time in the months following the September 11th attacks.
4: Oprah goes on to say that this series is actually one of the only times in her career that she's faced intense, intense criticism. She says... I once did a show titled, Is War the Only Answer? In the history of my career, I've never received more hate mail, like go back to Africa hate mail. I was accused of being un-American for even raising the question. What I love about that is that it really shows that she's someone who is able to take a political stance, and even though she got heat for it, really continue having that stance. And that's something that I love so much about how she's illustrated her political life on tv Mm. now you may be thinking sign me up put me on an email list for oprah 2020 (laughs) i want to knock doors i want to make phone calls but i want to get into why not everyone is feeling oprah 2020 after this quick break
6: gotta tell you about best fiends it's the game pretty much everybody's talking about morgan number two plays this sometimes before we start the show You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated, with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. This
1: episode is brought to you by Arches and Halo.
2: Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold,
4: be you. And we're back. Now, we talked about all the reasons why it actually might make sense to have an Oprah presidency in 2020. But let's talk through some of the reasons why it might not be such a hot idea.
5: Mm.
4: Here's what folks were saying. First, ironically... One of the biggest reasons is what we opened the show talking about, which is that she's a celebrity. Plenty of folks were saying, listen, we don't have to double down on the fact that Trump is our millionaire, billionaire, celebrity president. We don't have to elect another one and say that is our new normal. We don't have to have a back-to-back celeb president just because Trump is our president now.
3: Yeah, I'm not buying it. I mean, I think I get the argument, which is that it's a populist one. It's people saying we don't have to accept tacitly or proactively that celebrity wealthy elites are the people who should be running our country from now on. Whereas I would counter wealthy elites have always been running our country. This is a freaking oligarchy in so many ways, especially since the passage of Citizens United, which made unlimited campaign contributions the new normal. So until that goes away, wealthy people are the only people that have a real shot at mainstream political success.
4: Yeah, I think I agree in some ways, because I don't I don't wouldn't consider Barack Obama to be a wealthy. That's true. He didn't come from wealth.
3: I mean, 2012 was the first campaign cycle in which unlimited contributions were a thing. Right. Barack Obama got in the door 2008. Thank God beforehand. And I just think that Wealth is one thing. I would agree with this argument that celebrity is a new thing. I mean, in every way, Barack Obama was an anomaly, a total, wonderful, historical anomaly. And there's no new normal precedent that's been set by the Obama presidency, unfortunately. That would be cool. But I think saying like, oh, if we elect Oprah, we'll somehow continue the trend that Trump started is really a
4: stretch in my book. I know a lot of my super radical friends made the point that do you really want political power in this country to just be changing hands from one celebrity billionaire to another? (sighs) And I I can understand that argument. I really, really can. It's
3: the same argument that those are the same super lefties who you know I love, but I get a little fed up with sometimes, who said, I don't want to elect Hillary Clinton because it's continuing a political dynasty. Because... Hillary's husband was president, Hillary can't be president.
4: See, I kind of agree with that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I I obviously supported Hillary Clinton, but I'm not a big fan of political families. I like the idea of just mixing it up. And so I didn't like the way that Bush won sort of groomed Bush two, and for a while it seemed like Jeb was gonna be in the mix. I thought that was too much of one family. And so even though that's an argument I could totally understand. It seemed like in a lot of cases it was being applied in a way that was meant to knock her down. It didn't seem genuine. I'll put it that way. Well, and this one does. That's my thing.
3: I'm just saying, yes, perfection would be great. Can we have another different Barack Obama, please? Can we have someone who's an unlikely son of an immigrant? Oh, I'm sorry. Daughter of an immigrant would be nice. Who is... Not white, but not necessarily the same exact shade of black that Barack Obama is. Like, can we have something new and different all the time? I just think there's this impossibly high litmus test that um my very far left friends like to be the wise critic in the corner who says, oh, do you know how this person is not quite perfect? And to do that to Oprah is like, you're missing the point. I, I feel like I just really mocked very
4: lefty people. <laughs> I feel like you've got someone specifically in mind that you're thinking of I'm right just now. i
3: I went to an Ivy League school, I've seen these professorial types who are like, yes, but do you know what's not perfect about this? I am so smart. Let me show you, with my explicit critique, how wise I am. And it's much more about the critic than the person in the ring.
4: That's absolutely, absolutely true. And I And I do think... <laughs> I don't want to sound too salty, but I do think the last Democratic primary kind of gave us all an illustration of what that can look like when some candidates are treated as if they are super pure and have never done anything wrong. And when they go outside, birds fly and land on their finger because they're made of magic and sunshine and Like, who is this perfect candidate who has never done anything wrong, has no past, has no baggage, who has 100% good stances on everything always and always has? Who is this person? I want to meet them. Exactly.
3: I feel like it's the actually people, the people who want to tell you how this person is imperfect in ways that you might not know because they know that and they want to make sure that you know that they know that. And that striving for perfectionism which, by the way, women get held to a higher standard for than men do, it bothers me because I'm not interested in perfect. I'm not interested in in passing litmus tests. I'm interested in getting things done. And I know I've digressed on a major ranty tangent just now, (laughs) but you can tell why I, I sound like a moderate quite often is because I am definitely biased towards getting things done. And I think... This whole conversation that cascaded from Oprah's incredible speech was, let me point out the ways in which her potential future hypothetical presidency would be imperfect.
4: Well, even though I don't know that we're on the same page entirely on this, I completely agree with that. Because yeah. I saw so many of my political insidery friends taking such glee in pointing out all of the reasons why this hypothetical thing that we just all started talking about, because of a a good speech she made, why it wouldn't make sense. I found that to be incredibly reductive (laughs) and frustrating.
3: And unfortunately, if I were Oprah, A, that response would have turned me off from running already, and B, there were already polls being conducted immediately following her speech. And spoiler alert, they didn't go so well. Politico's poll found that just 24% of the nearly 2,000 registered voters surveyed actually want her to compete for the White House in 2020. 59 percent, on the other hand, think she shouldn't run. And 17 percent said they weren't sure or had no opinion. So people seemed very not actually into a win-free presidency, despite what Twitter and my newsfeed had to say about it.
4: Well, I think that makes sense, because when you look at how presidential politics tends to work, Politico did a really good job of pointing out how it often can work on a pendulum, where What people want one, one presidential cycle is not what they want the next one. So if they want someone like George W. Bush, the next time around, they're going to want somebody different. And so we sort of go back and forth and back and forth. And so even if you're not maybe convinced that having Oprah be the next president will establish this trend of all of our presidents being these, you know, TV star millionaires, Billionaires, billionaires. I keep saying millionaires. It's billionaires. I like when
3: you said millionaire,
4: billionaire. Millionaire. I was, <laughs> listen, she has more money that we could that you, you can even got fathom. A million billion dollars. It's probably <laughs> she's so rich. It's probably new denominations of money that we don't even know about. Like, oh, I'm a the Ganda there. Like you don't even know. She has different phrases for her money. I'm sure. I
2: love it.
4: But yeah, and so even if you're not convinced that this is going to set some dangerous precedent of celebrity presidents. It could just be that voters after Trump would want something very different because politics tends to work on that pendulum.
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's where really understanding what Oprah would be as a president might be important. And I know we discussed some of the political stances that she has come out with, but a lot of people did rightfully, I think, say that we can't postulate. We can't really assume what kind of a president Oprah would be. She definitely seems like a pretty liberal person on the social issues, but there's still a lot about an Oprah president that we can't assume in terms of how she might treat,
4: I don't know, issues like education. Totally. It's important to point out that Oprah donated $6 million to six charter school organizations through her Angel Network Charitable Foundation. And I don't want to get into a whole thing about charter schools, but I think for many advocates of public education, this might be a problem.
3: Yeah, and we know that teachers' unions are a big part of the Democratic Party apparatus.
4: That they are, Emily. Furthermore, Oprah has received some criticism for what has been perceived as giving platforms to folks who might have dubious or anti-science backgrounds. I'm talking folks like Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and Jenny McCarthy, who she gave a position blogging on Oprah.com.
3: Yeah, she was notorious for her anti vaccinations stances. We know Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz have some questionable relationships to science, not to mention the way Dr. Phil gives advice makes me want to sock him in the face.
4: And he's been recently accused of putting addicts and other vulnerable folks who come on his show in danger, giving them booze, giving them pills to make good TV. Oh, my
3: God. Yeah, he's pretty despicable. I'm I'm not a fan.
4: To me, it really comes down to the idea that Oprah is not someone who's been groomed to be in public office. And so, of course, there are going to be things in her background that you might say, oh, you know that i have questions about that or that seems problematic and i think people are right to point out the ways in which she might have stances that might not be so progressive she's an imperfect human like all of us shocking like you all know, of us
3: i again i'm not super persuaded by the how dare you think of her as a candidate for any of the reasons we've named thus far but there is one argument that gave me pause there's one argument that i saw from some of my most fierce advocate friends who tended to be women of color and that argument was and this is what gave me pause as I'm sitting there already you know four tweets deep with the hashtag Oprah 2020 when I see my friends saying you know if you expect black women to clean up this mess for America you need to examine your privilege and what that says about you and that one Caused me to take pause.
4: What were your thoughts on that argument?
3: Well, first, I think I felt defensive. Uh, my white guilt kicked in, and I was like, "Is it wrong that I love Oprah?" <laughs> and I was like, "Is it racist of me to want Oprah to run for president?" And I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think of that, Bridget, because I understand. How rightfully indignant a lot of women of color must feel when we see the Democratic Party time and again rely on black women to be the most reliable voting bloc, to be the backbone of the Democratic Party, and then for the Democratic Party to not always return the favor. (laughs) I, I get that. Yeah. But that, to me, doesn't translate into... Uh, hey, white girl tweeting, hashtag Oprah 2020, you're a racist.
4: So I think it's a nuanced argument. I don't think that if you're saying Oprah, run for president, that you're a racist. But I think that it is important to understand the cultural and political and social landscape in which you are advocating for someone who has not expressed interest in doing this yeah. to get involved. Like, yeah. we are a country that loves to talk about how much we want to put women of color at the forefront, But we are then not a country that supports or listens to those very same women. And so you kind of can't have it both ways. I really liked how Derek Clifton put it over at Fox. He wrote Nonetheless, Oprah 2020 became the next big thing, which reinforced a troubling pattern. Black women are expected to do the work of cleaning up political messes despite living in a country that often fails to reward, respect, and protect them. Instead of accepting Winfrey's poignant speech for what it was, the oratory was spun as a beacon from a beloved magic savior here to, quote, save the country from Donald Trump. But why is that her or any other Black woman's job? And I... Get that. I think we saw that in the Alabama election when black women came out in droves to make sure that an alleged child molester slash can't go to the mall because he's kind of a creep racist like didn't banned, get elected. Banned from the mall creep. Exactly. Yeah. And if you yeah. listen to our Women in White Supremacy episode, you know that so many times political power in this country has been people of color and black women especially. Saving white America from themselves. Exactly. I think it's that savior feel, like Oprah
3: save us, which is lazy uh, and it's half-baked. Like I can see where it would be annoying, kind of like the Women's March feel. I guess it's a timely reference given the anniversary just passed. But it's the same kind of annoyance that black women rightfully have watching a bunch of white women come out for the first time in four years and say, we care. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. If there's a ton of non-voting white women, or I'm sorry, white women who the majority of whom voted for Donald Trump saying hashtag Oprah 2020, I get where it's like, sure, you say you want Oprah to save us, but are you really going to do the work? Are you really going to support her when the going gets tough? Are you really going to be there when she needs your money, when she needs you to knock doors, when she needs you to do more than tweet about it. And I think that's perfectly righteous. I also think that I, as a white woman who did not vote for Donald Trump, for the record, got immediately defensive, which is just what white people and white guilt does to you sometimes.
4: I can totally understand that. <laughs> I would also say for all of those folks out there who were valiantly tweeting Oprah 2020, a way that you can harness that feeling that you got when you watched Oprah make that speech and why you got so excited is to make sure you're supporting Other black women who already have their hats in the ring for running for office. So if you're going to go out there and tweet Oprah 2020, are you supporting the black woman running for governor or running for dog catcher or running for whatever in your town? How are you showing up for her? So don't just, you know, advocate for the political power of black women when it's Oprah. Make sure that you're doing it down the line.
3: Yes. And if you are looking for the women of color who are running for office near you, there are two great rundowns that we want to point you to. You'll find these links in the show notes, but you can also just Google Awesomely Lovey, that's L-U-V-V-I-E, if you don't know her already, who wrote a great post back in December titled, A List of 100-Plus Black Women Running for Office in 2018. There's also a write-up in Refinery29 from Lily Herman that came out right after Oprah's speech titled, Oprah Isn't Running, But There Are Plenty of Black Women Politicians Who Need Our Support. So go check it out, go to their campaign websites, get on their lists, and put your money where your mouth is until we have an org
4: site to go to and support her. Exactly. I completely, completely support people doing that. I also think one of the more nuanced reasons I saw that people were skittish about an Oprah presidency is kind of a thoughtful one. We lose our Oprah when somebody runs for president, that whatever warm, fuzzy, happy feeling you have about them kind of goes away because they're the one deciding whether to send a drone strike. They're the one deciding what your insurance looks like. They're the one deciding what your immigration policy looks like. And as much as we love Oprah, would we still love her if she was making all those kinds of decisions? Ira Madison points out over at the Daily Beast, I recognize that Oprah doesn't just reverberate emotionally in Hollywood, but in America as a whole. But do you understand why that is? It's because Oprah doesn't decide how much you pay in taxes. Oprah doesn't send drone strikes. Oprah doesn't have to be friendly with racist, homophobic, or misogynistic politicians to pass legislation. And that is so true. That's real. That's really real.
3: Yeah, the pragmatist in me might not want Oprah to become a pragmatist like yeah. me.
4: Because it, it stands to reason that maybe she could do more not as president oh, yeah. than she could as president.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a very solid argument, if I were her, to just continue affecting change as she is. Like, she can affect a ton of change as a private citizen, for sure. Barack Obama's doing that now. Definitely. But then again, there's another part of me He's like, if women avoid the, quote, dirty work of politics... A, I don't feel like that's a particularly feminist stance, and B, I think women are the only ones who can make politics not as dirty and who can actually improve the system itself. Well,
4: they have actually done studies that show that women who run for office actually tend to do so not because they want a flashy career, but because they want to get done. Exactly.
3: So I don't know. I'm tormented. I mean, after reviewing all of these arguments, I think the only thing I can agree on for sure is that I'm annoyed by this conversation. Yes,
4: it is an (laughs) annoying conversation. And I think one of the reasons why it's so annoying is that we're now talking about this hypothetical situation where an Oprah runs for president in a couple of years and we've lost sight of the fact that she made this amazing speech. And what she was actually saying, lost in the entire should she, shouldn't she conversation is the point of her speech, which, if you look about it, isn't really actually about her. It's about us. If anything, it sounds like she's urging us, that's you and me and all the listeners out there, to run for office if you want to make change.
3: Yeah. Instead of arguing on Twitter about a hypothetical Oprah presidency, I think we should allow Oprah to do what Oprah does best and inspire others and inspire us to rise to the occasion, and be our best selves. And whether she inspires us as a nation from the Oval Office or as a private citizen is not up to us. But what is up to us is what we choose to do with our time, with our effort, with our energy, and with our 2018.
4: Absolutely. That exact sentiment is what resonated with me so much. There's this great piece in Slate by Dahlia Lithwick where she points out, What I heard in Oprah's speech wasn't a bid to save us all, but rather a powerful charge to young girls watching at home to tell their own stories, to fight for their own values, and to battle injustice with the certainty that they will be seen and heard. So really, it isn't about Oprah at all, but rather it's about us. Just
5: like Oprah said herself. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say me too again. Thank you. So
4: you got to do what Oprah says and get out there and be the change. Don't just wait for Oprah to do it for you. Oof,
3: I love that. Smitty listeners, we are dying to hear what you think about this. What is your take? What is your take on everyone else's take? What is your take on our take about everyone else's take? Tweet at us at MomStuffPodcast. Find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, we love your emails. Hit us up at MomStuff at com.
4: Women whose names we'll never know. They are domestic workers, farm workers. This is my Oprah's terrible. I love it. <laughs> they're in po- they're in part of the world in text and politics and business. <laughs> there are athletes and Olympics. <laughs> there are soldiers of the military. Okay. <laughs>
3: Dear Young Rocker Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early
1: 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea
3: Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.